It's great to be here. I'm super, super thankful for the invitation that Pastor uh, Tim gave to me to come. He's like, how come you've never been here before? Never was invited before. And uh, so I'm really, really honored by that. And we, of course, have been following with great interest. Uh, first of all, just this, uh, frankly, uh, immense uh, suffering uh, that the Lord has appointed uh, for your pastor. And that is certainly not easy to go through. It can't be easy to watch. And, uh, but it seems to me, uh, based on just a bit of experience, that um, God must have something even greater in store for him and for this church. Uh, Jesus said that he who bears fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. And God's got a thousand ways of keeping us humble and keeping us dependent. And we learn to welcome those things, you know, as difficult as they are. But we uh, love Tim and Jana very much and are just thrilled about what God's doing in this church. Let me just affirm and congratulate you not only on being a church planted, and now I guess about nine years ago, but in addition to being a church planted, um, you are also a church planting church. Did you know that uh, only uh, less than 1% of planted churches ever plant a church? And uh, so uh, that is an awesome thing. We're very familiar, of course, with not all, all everything you've done here, but super excited about the church in Denver and Jeff Schwarzentraub. And do you, do you all know about that? Do you know about that? You know about that? Well, that's what God did through this church. And so that's kind of little like our grandchildren now. And, and uh, it's just thrilling to see that you have a heart not only to reach people in this area, but to uh, pool your resources and reach people in other places because Jesus is coming back, you know, soon. Yeah, is that, is that good news in Peoria? I'm not even sure if that's good news down here. I'll give you another, give you another run at that pathetic response. So, um, um, and, and because Jesus is coming back, you know, pretty soon. Awesome, awesome. And, and, uh, and, and, uh, so you're like, I wanted to see my kids get through college. What is wrong with you? All right. And it's going to be so awesome when he comes back. And, and so, um, I'm glad that you're about the work of building his kingdom and extending uh, his fame throughout the earth. Did you know that, uh, just in America alone, did you know that, uh, it's hard to believe this. Um, I Instagrammed this this morning. 3,000 churches in America are closing their doors, um, every year. 3,000 churches. A year. Just forget it. Wrap it up. We're out of here. 3,000. Um, only 800 churches in, in America survive. Some more are planted, but only about 800 really take. So that's a deficit of 2,200 a year. And we would need to be starting 10,000 churches a year uh, just to keep up with the population growth. So where's that going? Turn to your neighbor and say, no, we're good. So we're trying to be part of the solution in that. So thank you for being not just a, a life-giving, gospel-preaching, Christ-adoring, um, a Bible-believing church here in Peoria, but thank you for having a heart to see churches planted. I always say that uh, the mission of the church is missions, and the mission of missions is the church. So thanks for being part of that, and uh, we're going to get into God's Word. Uh, so having said all of that, uh, let me say this. Uh, it's great uh, to be at Harvest Bible Chapel in Peoria. And if you would open your Bibles, please, I would really appreciate that to the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke chapter 18. Do you have a Bible with you? I think they're going to give out a Bible if you don't have one. So, um, And uh, I didn't check with anyone in saying this, not a single person. If they hand you a Bible, um, you can keep it. All right, and uh, I'm not ch- check in. I'm going to actually preach a different message in the next service, so um, uh, check back and uh, see if I'm allowed to say that in the second service. But 
for the first service. Hey, so there was this guy, right? So there was this guy, right? And are you allowed to talk in church down here? Yeah, okay, good. So um, there was this guy, right? And he was a salesman uh, for a dog food company. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was his job. He was a salesman for a, a dog food company. And actually, he became the head salesman for the dog food company. And uh, he was at the national sales conference for the dog food company. And he got up to motivate. Just imagine I'm the sales director and y'all are the salespeople getting dog food into every corner of the nation. And uh, he stood up and he said this. He said, uh, the name of the company is Kennel Ration. And uh, he said, who makes the best dog food in the country? I'm supposed to say Kennel Ration does. Hang on for a second, though. I'm going to give you a run at all this. So I'm the sales director, and we're acting this out, and y'all are the salespeople. Um, Kennel Ration is the company. Who makes the best dog food in the country? And who has the best marketing strategy in the country? And who has the best delivery systems in the industry? And finally, and who has the best and most up-to-date packaging facilities in the country? And then he says, then why aren't we selling more dog food than anybody else? And of course, the place just gets quiet. And one guy over on this side puts his hand up, a guy from the south, and he goes, Fact is, sir, the dogs don't like it. Eighty to eighty-five percent of all churches in North America have plateaued or are in decline. Think of that. What's the problem? Is Jesus not awesome? Is the Word of God not powerful? What's the problem? Fact is, the dogs don't like it. The fact is, is that the experience with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that is offered in most churches is so laden with religion and hypocrisy and rules and things that don't square up with the life and ministry and message of Jesus Christ, that where it is failing is not at the point of power, not even at the point of proclamation. Where it's failing is at the point of practice. The actual people are not living the message as the message has been given to us. And so if you believe, as I believe, that uh, Jesus died uh, not only for our forgiveness, but rose from the dead to live his life through us, uh, one of the things that Jesus said very prominently is, whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. And what we desperately, desperately need to be free from in the church of Jesus Christ is from religion. That's the title of this message from Luke 18, uh, Freedom from a Religion. And uh, before we even get into the specific package, let me say that we have big buildings. This is a beautiful one. If you agree with this uh, being a beautiful uh, facility, say amen. amen. And we have slick programs and sharp brochures and fancy plans. But the, what the world sees in most churches, fact is, is that they don't like it. And uh, Christianity that makes no a little or no sense. Instead, it's just laden with what I'm going to use in a very negative, pejorative way uh, is this word religion. And by religion, if you'd like to jot things down just so you know what I'm talking about, make a note of a couple of these things. By religion throughout this message, I mean uh, rules without reasons, without biblical reasons. Why, why do you do that? Well, we got these rules. 
And, but it's not in the Bible. But we're so worked up about it, but it's not in the Bible. I don't know how you feel, but I find what's in the Bible to be a pretty significant job description. How many people have actually studied the Bible and said to themselves, I wish there was more rules? Anyone? Anyone's like, man, it's just not enough. It's just not enough. I find, uh, hands up if you consider it adequate. Uh, the biblical concept is sufficient and uh, not religious people, though. It's not enough. They want to add more. So by religion, I mean rules without reason, without biblical reason, programs without a purpose, systems without the substance, which is Christ, form without function, organization, politics, pettiness. The dogs don't like it. So here they come. Um, I'm free from religion when. Ready? I'm free from religion when. Five things. Um, let me just read it to you first of all, if I could. Uh, Luke 18. Uh, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse uh, 9. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Could you be more specific? Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Well, what makes you think you're better than him? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, Jesus said, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself... I will be exalted. And uh, so this, a parable, a story with a meaning uh, from the life of Christ. I'm free from religion when five things jot this one down. I am free from religion when I refuse to bind others with man-made rules. Now, I know you have a faithful Bible teacher as your pastor, so I hope you're accustomed to looking in the Bible. Everything I'm asserting here, you should be seeing it in the Bible. I didn't sit in my office and go, boy, I wonder what five things are. I'm going to make a list of five things. No, I was studying the Bible to come up with them and see where I got the first one. I'm free from religion when I refuse to bind others with man-made rules. That's in verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That uh, trusted in themselves they were righteous the word righteous there means pure clean uh, without sin and yet Romans chapter 3 says that there is none righteous no not one so think about the person Jesus is talking about who considers himself righteous while the word of God says there isn't such a person there's none righteous uh, no not one The word uh, salvation, another word for salvation is the word justification. And the word justification, if you can look to a time in your life when you've turned from your sin and embraced Jesus Christ by faith, then, and I hope you can, and if you haven't, you can do that right now. 
But if you look to a time uh, when you that did happen to you, uh, you would say, I was saved. Or another thing you would say is, I was justified. And the word justified means, um, it's, it's a, a legal uh, term. It means to be declared and treated as righteous. Now, Christians prone to religion, someone say like me. Right, we're the most religious people there is. Just get that straight. And that's what we're trying to keep off ourselves all the time. We want the genuine, real, personal thing with Jesus. And we don't want the religious trappings that roll up on us all the time. And so uh, when we understand that in Christ we are declared and treated as righteous, it is remarkable how quickly that morphs into... I am righteous. Well, that's not what salvation is. Salvation is declared positionally and treated by God as though, but not actually, not actually. You see, this guy here, he, well, it says it right in the text. It's so clear. He trusted in himself that he was right. Well, Jesus actually has given the reason for the story. He was surrounded by a crowd of people trusting in themselves that they were righteous. And see, the quickest test of a person who is self-righteous is they treat others with, check yourself, check yourself. They treat others with contempt. There's the ticket right there. Um, The uh, New King James says a despised New American Standard is good. It says, viewed others with contempt. NIV says, um, look down on. Uh, it means literally to, to make nothing of, to belittle another person. And if you look down, if you watch the news and say, oh my gosh, look what she's doing. Oh, can you believe? How could they? And you see yourself as. This is everywhere. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking for the guy in the fourth row over here. All right. This is in your row. This morning, you know, immediately I see a couple people go, no, it's, it's, it's closer than you think. So if I'm free from religion, when I refuse to bind others with man-made rules, then I'm struggling with religion when I'm doing that. Uh, Notice there in the text, there's two different words translated others here. The first one. Um, They viewed uh, themselves that they were righteous and treated others. That word others there, a better translation, some of you might have it, is the rest. So this Pharisee was in a very exclusive club for God's choicest servants. Uh, Current membership, uh, one. Uh, We haven't been able to find anyone else who really qualifies to be. I mean, I'm open to applications, all right? Somebody wants to say, I want to be part of your club, I would consider it. But so far, no one has actually been uh, accepted to the club. So uh, note this or uh, be reminded of this, loved ones. Um, But I just wish I could just take hold of each one of you and really look into your eyes and just say to you, Christianity is a relationship. You have a relationship with Jesus. You have a personal, daily, and much more frequently relationship with him. He lives in you by his Holy Spirit. If you're one of his followers through faith in him, you've been given the authority to be called one of his children. And you have a relationship with Jesus. 
That's Christianity. That's the totality of it and everything that flows from that. And religion is not even thinking about that. Religion is thinking about how good I am and very quickly how much better I am than others. And and so Jesus was not down with this at all. So he told them this parable so that the ones that were trusting in themselves... See, at the end of the day, the most religious people, um, are they're not even really saved because to be saved is to reject the trusting in myself... And, and to embrace the only Christ can save me and to fall upon his mercy. What's really interesting is, is how many Christians, um, trust Jesus Christ for salvation in total dependence and then set about to sanctify themselves. Oh yeah, he had to get me on the salvation boat, but since I've been on here, let me tell you something. I got things in ship shape. Oh, do you? Oh, do you? Oh, do you really? That may just be a uh, cultivated uh, religious viewpoint that does not square. Because you can see the people that Jesus is going for. These people, are you looking at the text? The Bible study, right? Verse 9. The people that trusted in themselves. They looked at themselves. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. And again, the truest test of that is treat, treating others with contempt. The problem with the system of rules is, is that you um, can keep every one of the biblical rules and still be dead in your heart toward God. You can go to church. You can carry your Bible. You can serve. But listen, but in your heart, you're dead to God. The worship doesn't move you. The sermon doesn't convict you. You don't change. When was the last time God took you to the mat with the full weight of who He is? When was the last time you had an earth-shattering, window-rattling, life-altering encounter with the God who made you? Where you were undone and humbled in His presence. I won't speculate about the season of time, but I will tell you, if it is substantive, if it is significant, if it has duration, the blockage is religion. It's the form. So more on freedom here. Let's get into the actual parable. That's just the opening. I'm free from religion when I refuse to bind others with man-made rules. And then this in verse 10 and 11, I'm free from religion when I reject externals as a spiritual yardstick. We should see that starting in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other, and this is the other word for other. It's a completely different word. It doesn't mean the rest. It means, it's actually the a Greek is heteros, from which we get our word heterosexual. Heterosexual means oriented to a person of the opposite sex. And the word translated here means um Another completely different opposite person. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. The other a completely different opposite person. And how many here this morning are religious people with a form without a function, with rules without reasons, sitting in a row, worshiping with another member of my family, and I'm the religious person. 
And they're the other person of a very different kind who has something going on, personal, dynamic, current with Jesus Christ. Notice, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood, it says, some translations, mine says, standing by himself. It's interesting, that word uh, for stood there could, again, we just, the English language, this is going to just freak you out. But the English language is not the best language on the face of the earth. Are you okay? If you're going to storm out now, leave at once, all together. It's not the best language. There are other languages that have more tenses, more more communication. And this word for stood um, is different than we're going to see in a moment. Th- this means literally to take your place. It's like, in a minute, I'm going to be standing over there. See that spot right there? That's my spot. That's it right there. That's my spot. I'm going to go take my spot right now. That's what that actually is all in there. He took his place. Not, 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 not sneaking in the back door and hiding up in the, in the back. No, 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 no. Front and center. Where I belong. At the front. No, no offense whatsoever. It's interesting. I see a number of elders and pastors sitting in the front here today. Pray for them to be convicted by this message. It surely can't be about you. So he's, Actually, um, you could just see the pride in the way that he takes his position uh, back to the text. Um, the Pharisee, uh, standing uh, by himself, it, it, actually it's interesting, um, prayed. Uh, one translation puts the prayed before the by himself, which I think might be better. It's uh, prayed, uh, actually, thus within himself. When you see the prayer, you're thinking, it's kind of like he's praying, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's almost like he's praying uh, to himself. Now, before we're too hard on him, uh, true confessions in church, how many people have ever been in a context, in a circle, in a place with some people where you were so self-conscious about your praying that you were thinking more about what you were praying and how people were hearing it than thinking about God listening? Be honest if that's ever happened to you. Okay, oh, um, super... Super, super self-righteous group right here in the middle. And, uh, but, but, but honesty everywhere else. Well done. And kidding. And so he's actually almost like he's praying to himself, which is just, just a remarkable thing. He stood, uh, thus with, within himself, a very horizontal prayer, praying to be heard by others, not to be heard by God. NIV actually translates that, that he prayed about himself. But anyway, um, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed uh, thus or like this. How's this for a prayer opening? God, I thank you. That's a good start. Gratitude is a great place to start. But it's going in the ditch right now. <laughs> God, I thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> That's crazy what he's saying. I'm going to just try to imagine this. God, thank you that I am not like other men. (laughs) 
I know what you're thinking, the hours on the treadmill to generate this. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that laughter went beyond. That was, that was, that got into hurtful. What a thing to pray. God, I thank you. Me and you, God. Me and you, God. Better than everybody else. Thank you, God, that I'm... The wisdom that you showed making me awesome like you. Wow. He's focused on externals. That's really what it is. He, 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 he's not even thinking about his heart. He's, I'm a Pharisee. I'm big about the Bible. Um... But by focusing on externals, he's ignoring what God cares about most. He's valuing what is worthless. He's devaluing what is priceless. He's putting people into categories that the Bible never mentions. I like to think of this as like, um, like, uh, like a yardstick. He, he is uh, measuring people. I saw you out in the hallway. Your security guy? I'm not scared. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not with, I'm now, nah, I'm gonna go with a no on that. You're an elder? Elder here? Are you an elder here? Eh. <laughs> that is awful behavior. That is awful, awful behavior. Nice outfit. What I mean by that is probably somebody would like it. How long did it take you to get your hair like that? I mean seconds. How many seconds did it take? Lift up your voice and say, that's awful. That is awful. Do you know what you know about somebody by looking at them? Hold up. What do you know about somebody by looking at them? You know nothing about somebody by looking at them. How dare you form an assessment of another person? How evil. How completely contrary to the heart of God. And yet, isn't that what we do? We, we look at a person's background. We look at a person's race. We look at a person's, we assess their economic status. We, we, we listen to them speak and form some judgments. We learn about a failure and we, not with my kids, not them. As though somehow the biggest problem we have to ward off in raising our families is out there and not right in here. Nothing, nothing will propel your children into the world faster than religion. I would say the number one single reason why I'm standing here today as a follower of Jesus Christ is because every time I came home as a kid, I saw my mom sitting at the kitchen table leading the neighborhood women to Christ. I knew she wanted it for more than just us. She believed it was for everyone. And that was so compelling to me. We want our kids to follow Jesus for our own peace of mind. 
instead of for their eternal destiny. We want our kids to follow Jesus because of what others will think if they don't. And what if that is, what is that if it isn't religion? We must reject externals as a measurement. Okay? So, no more of this at all. That has to go. That, listen to me. Great things are happening here. Someone say amen. amen. And this will be death to that. How does a church go from thriving and exciting and growing to, to dead and close the doors and put it up for sale? It happens, as I said, all the time. And how does it happen? It happens because people become content with a form without function, externals only religion. And Jesus is going out of his way here to make sure we know that's not going to work. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners. So he gives this little list. I mean, you need some specifics, God? Um, I'm not like these kind of people. I'm going to come back to those phrases. So jot this third thing down. I'm, are you free from religion? You should be asking yourself right now. You shouldn't be thinking, man, I wish my sister was here to hear this. That's the big error. <laughs> my dad is so religious. I would have dragged him here if I... Really? 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 Because that would be a pretty religious thing to do, to think that it's for someone else. And point to who it's for. Come on. Point to who it's for. It's for me. Stubborn guy there in the fifth row. I don't point to nothing, man. I'll, I'll do what I want to do. All right. I got a sermon for you second service if you could come back. Joking or serious? Serious. Right. So I refuse to bind others with man-made rules. God help me for looking down on others and binding people up about stuff that's not even in your word. I reject externals as a spiritual yardstick. Here's the third thing. I review my walk. I review my walk for form without function. For form without function. I'll come back to those phrases in a minute. But look at verse 12. He says, I fast twice a week. I, I give tithes of all that I get. Well, and I know there's a lot of different levels of spiritual maturity here, so um, I'm not sure what your familiarity is with um, the Old Testament law. But how's that playing with uh, your understanding? I fast twice a week. <laughs> I give tithes of all that I get. All right, so let's run that through the Bible grid here. Um, I fast twice a week. Um, fasting in the Old Testament was required uh, once a year. Once a year it was required. Uh, on the Day of Atonement. Some of the super uh, legalistic people said, all right, well, once a, if once a year is, is good, then once a week is great. And they fasted uh, once a week on the day of the Day of Atonement. So, so when he says, I fast twice a week, he's like over the top. Now, not once a year, not once a week, twice a week. And how many people are like, I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm, I'm in uh, three small groups and I serve in children's ministry and the summer camp and I park cars. And (laughs) 
Not only is God not applauding over serving, if it's insulating your heart from an intimate relationship with Jesus, if it's making you feel like you have the check mark when you don't, the over-serving is the thing that God hates because it's keeping you from the very thing that Jesus died and rose from the dead to provide you, which is access to the presence of a holy God who loves you and wants to fellowship with you. So I fast twice a week. Um, and this one, I give tithes of all that I possess. So how's that going? So you give a tithe on your income. I'm a big fan of that. But then you also give a tithe every year on your house. How much our house worth, honey? All right, 10% of that's going to the Lord. Again, again this year? Again. And uh, count up all the stuff we have and figure out how much all that's worth. But we bought that last year. We already tithed on that. No, we're tithing again. We're tithing every single chance we get on every single thing we own Because God has asked for this, but we're going to give him this. Even though the Bible doesn't even ask us to do that. And we're going to look down on our nose toward Bill and Sheila because they bought a boat. And we would never buy a boat. Because we are such givers. Religious givers. Religious givers. The Bible says that God has given us all things richly to enjoy. And when you fulfilled your giving responsibility, you know, I think honestly we could give a little less, some of us, and and be a little more cheerful. We're all in favor of anything that would get that look off your face. (laughs) So, uh, live a little bit and and, uh, get, get off the false guilt train. You do more than even the Bible prescribes. So review your walk for form without function. You say, well, how do you do that? All right. Well, I'm going to go to church today. How many people think they should, they're should? they going to go to church today? Excellent. 100%. And so did I get it done when I got the car in the parking lot? Did I get it done when I got my body in this room? Did I get it done when I sat down and stood up at the right times? Did I get it done if I mouthed the words to the songs and got through that loud guy from Chicago? Did you get it done? Because form is getting here and get throughing it, getting through it. And function is getting into it and spending myself in worship and leaning into the Word of God in spite of the imperfections of the messenger and the presentation and getting out of it what God's Spirit has for me. I review my walk for form without function. How many people in a small group? Hands up if you're in a small group. Hands up if you're in a small group. Excellent, excellent. How's that going? You know, getting in... Do you do it at somebody's house? you do it at somebody's house? Do you have it at your house? Yeah, figures. All these, the leaders always have it at their house. That was super sacrificial on your part. And then, (laughs) and then, uh, so can you actually go to small group and talk about the Bible and even say some prayers, but not really open up your life? Can you attend a small group, but not really engage and share the things that are the biggest burdens on your heart? Like a plus for being in a small group. At our church, we chase them into small group or chase them out the door. Because we know they're leaving anyway. 
They're leaving anyway if they don't get engaged in meaningful community. So we just push it along and say, hey, look, you're taking up chairs here. Let's just get you in a small group. We don't want to be in one then. Just keep walking. (laughs) We're making disciples. Someone say amen. And to be made into a disciple, increasingly, you need to be in meaningful, life-giving fellowship with other Christ followers. And that includes accountability and bearing one another's burdens. But you can go to small group and not really do that. You can hide the darkest part and you can withhold the biggest burden. I can't tell them what's going on with our daughter. Are you kidding me? I might start, I might lose it. Right, right. And you need to open your heart to that level. And bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.1. So, I could give a lot more examples, personal Bible study. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've got up, read a chapter of Scripture, and before I got to my car, I was in the flesh. Form, no function. Here's the fourth thing. I review my... Walk for form without function. I return to the basics of examination and confession. All in favor of some good news? It's about time. Okay, here it comes. Calm down. Verse 13, but the tax collector. I'm sure you've heard lots of teaching on how despised the tax collectors were. They were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government who extorted. Basically, we need this number. Anything you can get over that number, that's yours. That's why Zacchaeus was like 4X on everybody. Because he was just taking everything he could get. So, I mean, just imagine if we were on that system where a guy knocks on your door, you have no idea what the government wants, and he starts laying down some numbers. Now, this year we're collecting 80% of your income. How's that going? And you're going to jail if you don't give it to me, and you have no place of appeal. So just think how hated these people are. What's interesting is, is the guy hated who he was himself. So the tax collector, standing, very different word for standing. He's at the back, not at the front. He's, it means, it's, it's very timid. It's like, I'm just trying to think of an English word. It's, it's like, he slipped in. He's, he's just, I just, he just, I don't belong here. I've got no right to be here. I don't fit here. But the tax collector standing far off. So here's takes his place guy. God, thank you that I'm not like other people. And here's the other guy, another of a very different kind, who barely slips in the back. Wouldn't even look, look wouldn't even look up. Wouldn't even, doesn't it say that in the text? He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat upon his breast. To the Jews, this was a symbol of great, like tearing your clothing. He's broken and he's crushed in the presence of a holy God. And he realizes how, see, see in the Bible, everyone who makes real contact with God is overwhelmed with a sense of their own sinfulness. Right? And, right? Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And... Peter said, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. And John said, I am but dust and ashes. Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord. And that's this guy. 
He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. One guy's like, hey, can can you give us one word? We'll play like Matt's game. One word to summarize you. Righteous. The other guy. One word to summarize you. Sinner. Jesus says, and, and it's interesting, can I just comment for a moment before I go to the conclusion? It's interesting, the blindness. That's the worst thing about blindness, about religion. Religion blinds you to your true condition. Do you understand that? That your ability to hear this message is directly proportionate to the size of the problem. So the bigger the problem, the more you're not getting it right now. And, and, and the smaller the problem, the more it's piercing you to the heart. Because as you load on layer and layer of religion and you harden your heart again and again and you settle for form without function again and again, you get to the place where I'm good with it how it is. I'm good. Hey, do you need any more of the Lord? No, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, do you need it? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. That, that's religion. That's insulating your heart from your true condition. And, and evangelicals are the worst for it. I like the sermon where we're talking about how other people are getting it wrong. Right. That's the religion that does that to us. And so, um, blind spots, I want to talk about blind spots just for one second. You have blind spots. Can we start there? You have blind spots. We all do. You don't see any blind spots on me. You're making my point. I don't see no blind spots. I mean, duh, duh, duh. That's why they call them, tell me. Because you can, we've been looking for them. Why are you looking for them, blind person? <laughs> you can't see them. So what, do you, what do you mean exactly? Okay, super quick. Jot these down. Five blind spots. Um, number one, I'm unmerciful. I am unmerciful. I love to receive mercy, but I don't give mercy to others. If grace is getting what you don't deserve, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And I never let anyone in my life not get what they deserve. I always make sure everyone gets what they deserve. Correct. You're unmerciful. Number two, uh, unforgiveness. I'll give you some uh, Christ words on each of these. I'm judgmental and Jesus says... The standard that I'm unmerciful. Jesus says the standard that you use, that's the standard that's going to be used on you. Are you looking forward to that? The standard you use on other people, that's the one God's going to use on you. Jesus said that. So five blind spots. I'm unmerciful. Secondly, I'm unforgiving. I'm kind of, I'm just unforgiving. I don't let stuff go. I keep records. I got account. I know who's wronged me. It's still with me. I don't really let go. Not the big stuff. Not me. I don't do it. Okay. You see that about yourself, that you're unforgiving? You keep a record of wrongs? Here's a third uh, blind spot. I'm unteachable. I'm unteachable. None of us, the Bible says we all fall in many ways. The key is to be a teachable person. And uh, a few years ago, I bought a a big house uh, in Chicago as a tax savings. I had a bunch of people in my church tell me, I wish you didn't do that. So what did I do? I sold it and moved. You want to cultivate a teachableness. We all want to... None of us have arrived. Someone say amen. 
And you want to be at the place where people can say, I don't think you see how this is. Oh, you know, you know what? You're right. I didn't, I didn't see that. And thank you for showing me that. And let me try to respond to that in a good way. Five blind spots. Unmerciful, unforgiving, unteachable, um, unloving, unloving. You're angry about sin. You're constant. This world, this world. Look at her. Really, really, really. Who do we think we are? I will never despair of any man. One preacher said, I will never despair of any man when I rightly discern what lies in me apart from the grace of God. And lastly, five blind spots. Um, Worst one. Um, I'm unsaved. I'm unsaved. So, unmerciful, unforgiving, unteachable, unloving, unsaved. You just, you just, you're so self-righteous, you really don't even know Christ as Savior. You've never said, I am lost without Him. So finally, I return to the basics of examination and confession. He says, I'm not an extor-. He's so blind. He says, I'm not an extortioner. It means open thievery. Maybe not openly. He says, I'm, I'm not unjust. But he was... Certainly unfair to the man he was looking at as he prayed. He says, I'm not an adulterer. But the prophet Hosea teaches that the worst form of adultery is unfaithfulness to God. So let's get back to the basics. Here it is. Of examination and confession. I look at my life. I get a mirror. I get other people to get... Hey, can can you... I I, I have done this as a regular discipline in my life. Take somebody out for breakfast and say, here's how this breakfast is going to go. See here this piece of paper? See this pen? I want you to tell me everything that you've always wanted to tell me about me but was afraid that I couldn't handle it. I'm listening now. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to tell me a bunch of stuff and I'm not going to say nothing. I'm just going to write it down and I'm going to take it and pray about it. There'll be no feedback. There'll be no explanations. There'll be no defenses of any kind. I need it. I have blind spots. So to help me with my self-examination, just give me the script. You're like, I would never do that. I've done it a lot to great profit. And if you really want to get out of religion and forward with relationship, return to the disciplines of examination and then as the Lord reveals things to you, confession. That's what he does here. God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a confession. And finally... I renew my pursuit of personal humility. To be free from religion, I renew my pursuit of personal humility. Notice here, this is Jesus' summary of the two men, the religious man and the sincere man. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, this one here, this man went down to his house justified, declared and treated as righteous, rather than the other man, For everyone who exalts himself, this is talking eschatologically in the last day, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. That's lake of fire humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's heaven exalted. Bow with me in a word of prayer.